With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to another episode of Pit Lane Parlay. I am your host, Mike Jokum. Frenchie's here with me. It's our, is this our first F1 episode of the year? I yeah, Happy New remember. Year, everybody. Yeah, Happy New Year. If you don't listen to the IndyCar episodes, shame on you. You should. Yeah, yeah, you should. Shame, shame. But you can like back. both. <laughs> you can listen to both every week. And... I don't really care if you leave iTunes reviews because those mean absolutely nothing. But, you know, if you want to, that'd be cool. But we're going to start with trivia. Uh, Frenchie, I pulled up a list of 10 trivia questions here because I'm tired of you getting the first, the getting it right, like right away. So if you get this right, right away, I will have a few more ready to go. Okay, first up, who won the inaugural Constructors Championship? This would be 1958. 1958? Yes. Um, interesting. I'm, there's a couple different teams I could guess. I'm just going to guess because my knowledge okay. doesn't go back that far. And that's why I went. I have one more for I'll give you one more question afterwards, too. Okay. Was it Van Wall? God damn it. Yes. All right. Well, that did not go according to plan. All right, let's jump down here to the 1996 Monaco Grand Prix featured how many cars finishing at how many cars crossed the finish line at the end of the race and how many cars were classified as finishing because they turned enough laps but still DNF'd. That's hard. I'm pretty sure it was like 3 or 4. It was not very many. That would be was... incorrect. Okay, was it six? It was two. Two finished, seven were classified. Two finished? That's it? Yes. I know Olivier Pontus won, who was in second place. I don't have that uh, handy to be totally... Uh, David Coulthard. Okay. Michael Schumacher was classified, but crashed after just six turns. I think if I'm reading that correctly, so... Wait, he crashed after six... No, corners he didn't he yes he did not he's not classified but he did crash after just six turns wow okay yeah he's that he's, 96 ferrari sucked he was very similar to my video game f1 skills after six corners i also typically crash i think usually you takes you more night. than that yeah yeah thank you i actually finished a race last night yeah and i didn't so what are we why are you downing yourself <laughs> well all right we'll move on there we don't have a ton of news to get to but it, since it's been a while, and well, next week will be you and Hickey doing an F1 episode. So, because I'll be at IndyCar Content Day slash in the middle of 
moving and setting up my host HQ in Indianapolis. So what do we have? Uh, there's been some news. I mean, not a ton because we have, you know, the drivers were already set and everything before the new year. And we know the schedule pretty much, but we've got some news. Um, the first thing I think to talk about is that Otmar, Otmar Safnauer, uh, the, yeah. the team manager or team principal of uh, Aston Martin is, is out. He... I guess is being replaced by we don't know who yet, but there are some rumblings as to why he left. Um, from what I've heard, there are two possibilities of why he left. Number one is Otmar's apparently a really friendly, like affable guy who's very approachable. How and dare him. he does a really good job of apparently just creating like a, a family atmosphere. And from what I've heard, Lawrence Stroll does not give a crap about that and just wants results. I uh, can't say I'm surprised. All right. So that could be one that basically their leadership styles don't mesh. And so he kind of got scapegoated. But he's he was with the team. He was with when they were forced India since like 2009. So yeah. I don't know if this is a good move for them. We'll see. But the other possible reason that he's out is because Martin Whitmarsh was hired there. At Aston Martin in a position called, I think, I don't know, like chief performance officer or something of Aston Martin. I don't remember the title, but basically when there were rumors of that happening, I think Otmar was, he didn't know it was going to happen. He had denied that he was, that was even going to happen. And then Martin Whitmarsh just showed up with a position that basically a lot of his role or duties overlapped with Otmar. So maybe there was kind of a, some friction there. Uh, that pushed him out. But what do you think? Is this going to be good for Aston Martin? Do they need more stability? There are rumors that they're going to hire Cyril from Renault, Cyril Avitable, as oh. their new um, team principal or, you know, whatever, team manager. I, I, I honestly don't know enough about Cyril's background to comment on, on that, minus the last handful of years at Renault and his tattoo that he finally got for Ricardo's podium. But... I'm going to say it's going to be a good thing in the long run because while I appreciate uh, Oatmeal's warm style <laughs> to you know building a, a team, at the end of the day, motorsports is a results business and they didn't have a good year. They, I mean, they're a very flash in the pan team. They seem to have good moments and everybody's like, oh, they're going to do great the next six weeks and then they kind of fall flat again. So... I think a change with the new 2022 car is, yeah, I mean, if you're, if, if you're going to make a change, if he was pushed out, this is the perfect time to do it. So obviously time will tell if it's a good move because, I mean, listen, things happen. Haas the first year was pretty good and now they're dog shit. So, you know, we'll we'll see. But I think for right now, I'll I'll, I'll give it a chance. I don't think it's a, a I don't think it's the wrong avenue to take right now we'll see i'm not sure i agree because i don't think you can kind of blame the performance on just otmar i think he's kind of being scapegoated in this position but we'll see what happens yeah i mean that's what happens when you're the team principal you are, you are the scapegoat yeah i think the problems run deeper there and you can't expect to get results as fast as lawrence stroll probably expects just by injecting cash 
and you'd need to replace Lance anyway. So, yeah, got to do that first. All right. I mean, yeah, one of those things is not going to happen, though. True. Uh, there's also a rumor that um, Andrew Green, the chief technical officer of Aston Martin, who's taking over the role in the interim until they find a new um, team lead, might also leave because he's pretty close to Otmar, which if that Did I send that to you? Is that the one I sent to you? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's going to... Again, I think that's... Long-term maybe is okay. Short-term will really hurt them at at the... You know, because we're... God, five weeks away-ish from... Six weeks away from the first test of the year. So if you're leaving now, it's... I mean, it doesn't matter for you, but it sucks for the team. Okay, um, moving on to the next topic, we have seen that Williams won their case against Rocket, who was their sponsor starting in 2019, and they had agreed to a three-year contract, but then COVID happened, the season was delayed, and apparently Rocket just stopped paying. So uh, a court, uh, the London Court of International Arbitration something, tribunal, has ruled in the favor of Williams and apparently they're going to make 35 million dollars or million pounds from this deal in small installments so they can upgrade that woodworking shop to include table saws now yeah exactly okay all right I'm not not too confident it will really do too much but I mean good for them hopefully Rocket still has I would imagine they still have plenty of money because they are a pretty large company but also I don't want anything to happen to their IndyCar sponsorship. No, I I don't either. But I think IndyCar probably provided a cheaper alternative to sponsor while the racing was still going on, while F1 was kind of in limbo. And so instead of sponsoring Williams, they got on Foyt's cars, which is like the Williams of IndyCar. Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of interesting. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just going to leave it at that. Go ahead. Anyway, Rocket, thank you for being a sponsor. Um, but now you got to pay Williams. So enjoy that. Cough it up. Um, one of the next things that I was seeing in the news that's pretty interesting is that people, a lot of people uh, have been commenting, but most specifically Nico Rosberg and then Gasly himself have been commenting on Gasly deserving basically more recognition and reward for how he performed this past season. And let's see what Nico Rosberg said. He said that Pierre's really, really awesome <laughs> to the extent where you're surprised that Red Bull doesn't take him back into the mother team, but you'll never know if he's able to perform under the pressure of Red Bull. That's the big question mark, which is left. And that's why they didn't put him back in, but he's doing a phenomenal job at Alpha Tauri. And then Pierre himself said that he's kind of disappointed, right? But that he expects after his contract is up at the end of this next season in 2022, Two, that the 2023 season will allow him the opportunity for, for a ride with a big team. Do you see any room for him at Red Bull, or is that just kind of out of the question? I I don't see it, to be totally honest with you. Especially, I don't think Perez was particularly great last year. I mean, he had moments, you know, like that defense on Lewis Hamilton, but I think for the most part, he was subpar. He had some pretty pitiful qualifying efforts for a Red Bull, but I think he'll be at least decently better 
this coming year. And if you are Red Bull, you have the perfect person you want alongside Max Verstappen. Whereas Gasly, you know, he's young, he wants to fight for wins, he wants to fight for a championship. If I'm Gasly and my contract is up and I have the chance to be the number two at Red Bull or or I don't know, go somewhere else. I mean, I sent you that list earlier. There's ten contracts up at the end of the twenty twenty two season. So there should be a good amount of movement again. Obviously, there will be a handful of young drivers that come up and handful you know there might be a handful of young drivers that come up and who knows what else will happen but i i'm still and i know matt said this a while back i said it a while back i'm sure you've said it if i if i were him like yeah i'd be frustrated too i i totally get it but you have to also look at what does red bull want red bull will always be max verstappen verstappen still 23, 24 years old, unless Verstappen pulls a Michael Schumacher and signs somewhere else, you're always you're always just going to be the number two. And for some guys like Perez, perfect. That's that's what he's happy to do. He gets paid, he wins some races, he gets recognition for being Max Verstappen's teammate. Most drivers aren't going to want that. So I would go elsewhere. That leads me to my next question of where does Gasly go? Where do you see him going in 2023 that, I mean... We, we, you sent me the list of all the seats that open up, but do you think any of them are realistic? Let me pull up that list. It's it's really early for the speculation, but I still love it. All right, so I okay, you know, Sergio's contract is up after next year. I guess technically we can call that an option, but again, not the option I would pick. Aston Martin has a spot available. Vettel's contract is expiring. Who knows what he'll do? Ferrari has signs out of contract after next year. Right now, I don't think that's pop. I don't think that's likely because there's Robert Schwartzman and a couple other Ferrari Academy drivers like Mick Schumacher, who's also up for contract. Both of the Williams drivers are up after next year. That would be a mistake. I don't see. So, boy. Oh, and Alonzo, but I think that's a Piastri, Oscar Piastri seat. So the options are are slim. I I think what we should do is tell him to come to IndyCar. That'd be I cool. know this is like our F1 episode, but yeah. That's yeah. where I'm going with that one. X uh, F1 drivers from France tend to do pretty well in IndyCar. Yeah, I think it would be a great idea. Yeah, sounds good. Let's, uh, you first heard that here. Gasly to IndyCar 2023. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. There's not when you look at that list, it's like, okay, a young driver could go there, a young driver could go there. He doesn't want to go to Williams. He probably doesn't want to go to Haas. So you're already eliminating like most of the availability. He's not going to go to Alfa Romeo if Guan Zhou isn't brought back for whatever reason, because that's a Ferrari team as well. So you're you're down to Red Bull or back to Alpha Towery, essentially, I think is we, we can or Formula E or IndyCar or Extreme E. Yeah, I think you're right, which is kind of sad because I think he's got the talent to show uh, some results or get some results in a top team. But we'll have to see what happens. Leading on from that, and you mentioned the Ferrari Driver Academy, they actually released their list of drivers for the next year today. Oh, OK. And interestingly... This is the first time in a while 
that they don't have any drivers on their list in Formula 2. Who's on the list? So Callum Eilat's still on it, and they refer to his stint in IndyCar as a gap year. <laughs> that's, a, that's a middle finger if I've ever seen one. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah, it's kind of rude. And uh, I think I thought his contract was longer than a year with you and Coast, but maybe not. I yeah, I don't know that one, to be honest with you. But Robert Schwartzman is still on the list. Yep. Uh, Mick Schumacher, obviously, is in F1 with Haas. Um, and then they've also got Arthur Leclerc, Charles's younger brother, and then a yeah. bunch of other drivers in sort of lower series, like F4 regional series. Yeah. And so I think what this says, and it's a good thing, in my opinion, is they don't have all these drivers kind of sitting one step below F1 and kind of shows their future direction of they want probably Mick in their seat next rather than kind of continuing to move people up and then just dangle the F1 ride and have too many people for too little spaces. What do you think? I think that's fair. I mean, it's better... It's one of the few driver academies that we have a sense of the actual direction they're taking, whereas Red Bull just has like 96 academy drivers and Renault has whatever they call theirs and Haas is playing paper football in the back. Yeah, I got I got nothing. That's all I got. Yeah, it's Red Bull does it the way I think the opposite that Ferrari is choosing to move now. And I think Ferrari's approach is better at this point, but we'll see where it moves from here. But I just thought that was interesting given what you were saying about Ferrari opening up. I think Sainz probably stays there if he has another good season next year. I agree. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix, dissecting the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato, and I'll catch you after the chequered flag. Sports stars. They're like superheroes. But they're actually real. Which is why we've made a podcast about them. You see... They've all got a story. But too many of these stories were cut short. Colby Bryant. Payne Stewart. Flo jo, Phil Hughes. Justin Fashionew. We're writing episodes about all of them. And sadly, many more. Death of a Sports Star. A new series from Crowd Network. Okay, so... Just a few more things to talk about. Uh, before we wrap up for today, but kind of the big couple of items are that Stefan Johansson, um, former F1 driver for McLaren, Ferrari, and some other teams, and then also former IndyCar driver, wrote in his blog uh, that he's been hearing from people in the racing industry, most people he's talked to about it, that said that they will not watch F1 anymore after the controversy at Abu Dhabi. 
He said he wishes the season could have been decided in a fair way, and he's had messages from so many people within the racing industry, and they mostly say that that was the last F1 race they will ever watch. That we all love the sport, but it's hard to get enthusiastic when stupid things like that keep happening. And he said from the point of view of Liberty, I think it's quite clear who the winner of the two will be in terms of basically competition versus business. And he just hopes there will be a sensible balance moving forward. So saying that you're not going to watch F1 anymore, I'm sure there are some people who won't. Okay, that's fair. But it's also like saying, I won't drink anymore when you wake up with a hangover. And then the next weekend, you're like, I'm going to go out and have a couple beers. <laughs> that's the We've perfect all analogy it. for this. Literally everybody who is of age that has is listening right now has done that at one point or another i did it a couple weeks ago so i just yeah listen if if you said that to stefan johansson in december right after the race and you don't actually watch good on you but i would say that's probably a very small minority of the people who are actually talking to him and he might be exaggerating the he might have gotten five texts and he might say, oh, so many people in the racing industry. I mean, I, I get it. You exaggerate when you start getting texts like that. But I would say most of those people are are, are still going to watch. Yeah, I, I really don't see it. In addition to your analogy about drinking, it's like going to Taco Bell. Like you go there, you get sick, you feel like garbage <laughs> after eating it. But then you still go back because it tastes good. Like I've met a Taco Bell in five or six years. I haven't been in a long time either, but yeah, I, I will never say that I'm not going again. Yes. Uh, I mean, yeah, fair. So because sometimes you just want it and it, it fits that specific craving. Good. But I, I think you got to watch F1. I mean, if you're Stefan Johansson, you used to be an F1 driver. I think all these people that he's talking to are still going to watch it. They're they're going to be drawn to it. It's going to be all over the news. It's going to be another battle next season. There's new cars like there's too much that's exciting for you not to watch it. And I'm not buying it. I just think this is dramatic reaction that we're still seeing like you know a month after basically people going crazy about it agreed okay so just a couple more things the first one and i just enjoyed this quote is that mark Scherer, who used to drive in f1 um i think he drove for brabham at some point and some other back marker teams uh, has and he's a pundit in I think it's in Germany no he's Swiss um, he, he said basically that Botas is actually a failure in traffic he, get, he always gets stuck and has an insanely hard time the guy just can't overtake other cars that are over a second slower with the fastest car in the field that's his weakness Okay, so from a guy whose best race finish was fourth twice, Mark Scherer, do you think that's harsh or accurate on Botas? A little bit of both. First off, the man has no room to talk. Botas is way better for a driver than he ever was. So, and I'm not, listen, I'm not a big Botas fan. Don't don't get me twisted here. I'm, I'm not defending him like Shannon would, but I... I mean, he, he does struggle when he gets caught in a bad spot and has to work his way through the field, whereas 
Lewis Hamilton does not in that Mercedes. So I, I, I understand what he said. I just think it's unnecessarily harsh coming from a man who had a zero Formula One wins, zero Formula One podiums, and really is his name is not recognizable. So please, Mark, uh, go away. <laughs> okay, uh, that was harsh on Mark, sure, but okay, <laughs> interesting. Um, yeah, I listen. If you want to be harsh, I'll be harsh too. That's fair. I think you're you're right. And I think Mark Schur actually, even though he really doesn't have a place to be throwing stones from his glass house, uh, I do think he's right about Botas and that he basically Botas is a fast driver. He has 20 pole positions in F1. But if you look at how many wins he has, he has 10 wins, right? So I think he's fast and he's quick on a lap and he's good enough to be an F1. But when it comes to racecraft, he doesn't have it. He doesn't have the killer instinct like you said that Lewis has. So yeah. While I think that Mark Scherer is pretty irrelevant, even when he was racing in the early 80s, um, he might actually have a point here, but it doesn't really matter anymore as well because Botas is going to Alfa Romeo, who will probably not be passing very many cars next season. Yeah. I'm curious to see how he'll, how he'll do without the Mercedes pressure, but yeah, we'll, uh, we'll go on to whatever you got next. Well, actually, I wanted to mention, because this just sort of came into my head that while we were talking about Botas, he had the option to go to Williams, too. Those were his two options, apparently. Yeah. And he chose to go to Alpha because they don't have the Mercedes connection. So he doesn't kind of have to feel the lingering pressure or, I don't know, I guess just weird, awkward link to Mercedes if he went to Williams. Do you think that was the best choice for him? Or should he have gone to Williams? Fantastic move. Okay. Otherwise, you're going to be stuck with people going, well, he's doing well in a Williams because he knows the Mercedes engine. But also, there'd be pressure on him that maybe at this point in his life, he just doesn't want. And a totally fresh restart, a mental reset. Yeah, I'm, I have no issue with his decision there. Yeah, I, wanna, I wanted to give the opportunity for us to give Botas a little bit of credit after yeah. kind of crapping on him a lot. Yeah, yeah, that's job well done. All right, so final two things. The first is that Nico Hulkenberg, in his role as a simulator test driver, um, has tested the 2022 car on the sim, and he says that the 2022 cars are pretty damn fast, but that it's going to be really difficult to follow in dirty air. That they aimed to be a bit slower, more challenging to drive, and have more focus on drivers that can make a difference rather than car performance and aero. But he said that they're not necessarily slower than the previous generation in his experience and that it'll be interesting to see whether cars can really follow or not because the cornering speeds are extremely high. Therefore, the risk of dirty air is still there. And it's difficult to imagine that following another car comfortably at those speeds will be possible. Is that a bad sign? Do we buy that from the Hulk or? I, hmm. I mean, the he's sim, not one I matter. I don't know if it matters yet. I I, I think you know, we're talking about simulator work, which, well, is incredibly important and way more advanced than iRacing or any other simulator that some of, of, of us have tried before. You know, I probably can't comprehend what a $100,000 simulator can actually do. But I think it's something to keep an eye on, maybe as a team going, okay, 
know, this is what we saw and we can tweak before testing and or at least have an idea of when I get in the car for testing, you know, when he who's he test drive for? I don't even remember. I think it's Alpine. No, he's Aston Martin's test driver, okay, right? So when Vettel or Landstroll get in the car, they have a little bit of an idea of what to expect. But I'm not putting a ton of stock into it yet. I, I think it's one of those like save it to your favorites and come back to it in like six weeks once actually once the season gets underway because testing is still you know you don't know what team programs teams are trying so we'll see after the first race of the year the more that i'm hearing like this i am starting to wonder if in 2022 we're gonna have basically crappy racing as all the teams struggle to adjust to the new setup before 2023 where they get the hang of it and it gets really good again I think that's a fair concern and would be how detrimental do you think that would be to all of the positive momentum F1 is bringing from 2021, even though the end of the year sucked, it was still a good year overall. I think for people who are more casual fans who got into it for the battle that we saw at the end of 2021 or throughout the whole season, actually, they'll lose interest pretty quickly. Yeah. For the diehard fans, it's not going to matter. Of course. Yeah, I mean, you and I are still going to watch. Matt is still going to watch. Stefan Johansson's not, though. He's he's still going to watch. I can't. I was was about to flip you off there. (laughs) All right, let's move on to the last one before I actually do flip you off. (laughs) Okay. All right, so this is the big speculation on F1 Twitter is that Apparently, Lewis Hamilton's future is unclear. And that there, I think Shannon sent this to us earlier, that there was an agreement between Mercedes and the FIA that in order for them to drop their appeal of the result at Abu Dhabi, Massey and some of the other officials would be fired before 2022. And apparently, no one's really heard from Lewis in addition whether or not he's coming back. There's speculation about it. Do you think this is actually something to worry about or are people just stirring the pot? First off, I think I did predict that Mercedes dropped their appeal because they came to some sort of agreement about Michael Massey. Oh, yeah. I think I got that right. I don't like I don't want to brag, but it's not often I'm right like that. Now, that being said, I've got six weeks till testing. Lewis Hamilton owes it to nobody to speak publicly or anything like that he's he's earned that but it is kind of weird how we don't really know if he's racing this year i'm not trying to like stoke the flames or anything and spread internet rumors because that's that's not my game but i i would you know is is he tech he's technically not confirmed for the year right i think he's under contract at least through next year. Oh, you're right. You're right. He did sign a contract, so he doesn't. But I mean, he makes $55 million a year, or he did last year. And I don't know how much money he's got, but it's more than any of us will ever imagine to have. So he could buy himself out of his contract or make a deal. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm yeah. I'm sure after last year, Mercedes would be like, yeah, we're we're cool. It's, it's fine. That being said, I don't think he owes it to anybody to say anything publicly with that. With the contract technically already signed, if he's considering doing something else, I'm sure Mercedes already has a backup plan in place, and he doesn't have to say anything publicly until 
whenever he wants. I don't think we as media or fans or followers of the sport are owed anything until he's ready. I honestly think it's probably better than speaking in public a lot. I mean, if you don't have anything good to say about what happened, then you just don't say anything, right? And that looks a lot classier. And I also think maybe this is a strategy to make the FIA shit their pants. Yeah, can you imagine if you're the new FIA president and you can't get Lewis Hamilton on board? You immediately look like an asshole and you haven't even governed your first race yet. And it gives him so much leverage, Lewis, I mean. He has all the leverage right now. All the leverage right now. Yeah, so I think this is just a strategy probably, and I think we'll see him back on the grid because he's not going to go out like that. I hope not. I I also, I do agree with you, but I hope not. That would, that would be disappointing. I would get it, but it would be disappointing. Well, in the strange circumstance that he does stop, who, who replaces him at Mercedes? Nick DeVries has to be. It's the only logical one that makes any sense. Okay. Because he's still Mercedes with Formula E or whatever with Formula E that used to be Mercedes. He test drove the car at the young driver's test recently. So he's been in an F1 car recently. So it'd be really either be him or Stoffel Van Dorn. And I think it's going to be Nick DeVries. (laughs) Let's just leave it at that. Or do you just steal Vettel? No, I'm just kidding. That would never happen. That would be really cool. Only because I'm a I am a big Vettel fan now, but yeah, no, no, it's Montoya. No, I'm just kidding. That would absolutely never happen. Uh, Well, being that that's the end of what you have, (laughs) I have nothing else. Next week, guys, as I mentioned at the beginning, Hickey and Frenchie here will be doing something F1 related while I get my life situated. So I'll be back on the F1 side in two weeks. Yeah, two weeks. And everybody, have a lovely weekend of racing. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because... The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.